Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to your blessed people, your beloved people. I pray that today that my words will be your words, that I will be the prism that you have molded me to be, and that they will not hear my voice, but they will hear your voice, almighty God, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, during my opportunity to preach this year, if you recall, I've been exhorting on the topic of peace. You know, not that we really needed such a topic in the year of utter bliss that is 2020, but, you know. <laughs> no, I think, I, I think the Lord placing this topic on my heart was certainly timely, uh, as he always is. He's never late, he's never early, but he's always perfectly on time. I titled this series, I've been doing peace problems, to which this will be the third installment. The teachings focused on specific areas that are hindrances to us experiencing the promised peace from Jesus Christ found in John 14.27. It'll be up there on the screen for you. John 14.27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, sadly, we often miss out on this beautiful promise from God the Son because of certain problems we have that hinder us from living it out. And it's not until we do our due diligence to partake in the lifelong journey of applying the biblical principles of his word to these various problems that we will be able to experience and live in the peace that he has left us, the peace he gave us. Now, uh, if you remember, in March, our focus was the common fallacies we as humans often believe about our peace uh, and the corrective view for each fallacy. I preached on that back in March. Uh, in August, we covered peace perils, things that are dangerous and, and threatening and hazardous to our peace. And those are both available on HTC's website if you want to go back and check them out. They're on the app as well. And our very cool YouTube channel, which has all the sermons of this past year. So I encourage you to utilize that technology. Now, considering our mission at HCC is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others. And since my last message, Peace Perils, covered problems as they related to our relationship with God, naturally today is going to cover problems that relate to ourselves. That being our inner workings, our, our attitudes, our thoughts, our emotions, and yes, even our physical bodies. And that was a story I, I once heard. It, was, it, it revolved around a wife taking her husband to a psychiatrist. All right, so here's the story. The doctor comes into the room where the husband and wife are waiting. The doctor says, what seems to be the problem? The woman responds, oh, doctor, it's, it's terrible, it's horrible. I just can't live like this anymore. Well, what is it? The doctor sympathetically responds. It's my husband, she cries. What's wrong with him, the doctor asked. Oh, doctor, he thinks he's a chicken. A, a chicken? Wow, that, that, that is serious. How long has this been happening? Three years, the woman responds. This has been going on for three years. Why on earth did you wait three years to bring him in for help? The woman sniffles, dabs her cheek with a tissue, looks at the doctor and says, well, I would have brought him in sooner, 
but I really needed the eggs. And some of you are getting it now. Yeah. I tell that story because I, I want to make the point of how easily can we get so caught up in the external influences and the external troubles of everything around us that we do not see sometimes we ourselves are the major contributing factor for our lack of peace. A lot of us anxiously point out the madness and the chaos of the things around us being the culprits for our lack of peace, yet don't even realize the madness and chaos occurring within ourselves. It's unfortunate that as Christians, many of us, we find ourselves assimilating into the world system driven by fear instead of being that contrast community that Jesus has called his church to be. Now, trying to gain peace by doing things the world's way, that is just as absurd as that woman thinking in her husband's chicken state of mind he could provide her eggs. It's crazy. It's not going to happen. It's actually going to add to the problem. Now, if we are to experience the peace our Lord promised, it starts with us. And part of that is addressing the internal parasites that will ravage our peace if we let them. Today, I give you Peace Problems, Volume 3, Peace Parasites. Now, these are issues that, like a deadly parasite, will suck the life out of your God-given peace mentally, emotionally, and more critically, spiritually, if we neglect to love ourselves rightly as our HEC mission states. Like before, in the, at the end of each parasite, we will be given a biblical principle in order to both prevent and eliminate these nasty little soul suckers from robbing us of God's glorious gift to his children, that, of course, being the peace of Jesus Christ. Anybody ready to do some heavy-duty extermination of some parasites? Does anybody feel like their soul needs like a good fumigation up in here? I know I do. So let's get into it. Let's start with our first peace parasite. It's up there on the screen. That would be the shame game. Now sadly, many of us are the Ken Jennings of this agonizing game show. You know, we've been on there so many times that we basically became the host. Shout out to you Jeopardy fans out there. But can any of you relate? You, you know where I'm going with this? Those loops that play over and over in your head? That unshakable feeling that you were just the scum of the earth? That, that, that you deserve to be punished at the harshest degree? Oh, God will never forgive you for all you've done. <laughs> you call yourself a Christian acting like that? Blade, way to blow your witness. Good job. Hmm, okay, maybe you're forgiven, oh boy, but you're going to get it. You failure. You sinner, you stupid, you loser, you tramp, you deadbeat, you weakling, etc., etc., etc. Any of those sound familiar to anyone? I can't be the only one. Well, I have a saying that I often like to give in response, and we say it a lot in my household. When someone shares this type of inner dialogue with me, or it plays in my own head when I have these thoughts. After it finishes, I respond by saying, well... That doesn't sound like the good shepherd. Now this is a reference to John 10, when Jesus is explaining that he is the good shepherd who laid down his life for us, that we may be part of his beloved flock. He goes on to say, I know my own, and my own, my own know me, and they follow me. 
See, sheep, they always follow the sound of their shepherd's voice because they know it well and they recognize it when he speaks. I got news for you. If you have been living in a state of shame, believing these demeaning things about yourself, you've been listening to the wrong shepherd, my friend. That ain't the good shepherd talking to you. Oh, that is the accuser of the brethren. That is the enemy. That is legalism. That is, that is you trying to earn your place in God's graces. But that is most assuredly not the good shepherd. That is in no way, shape, or form the God of the Bible's disposition towards his people, the Christians. Take a look at Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 1 through 3. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, condemnation, it's a big word that simply means that God is not up there with his arms crossed, shaking his head at you every time you mess up. You know, he's not ready to smite you for stepping out of line. He's, he's not going to verbally blast you with criticism like some domineering parent belittling their child. It means, even though every single one of us deserves hell, because of Jesus, that punishment and all that shame that justifiably goes with it is not even a possibility for those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not possible. No condemnation. Now, does that mean God is fine with us sinning or somehow indifferent towards it? Well, no, of, co of course not. As Romans 6 1 says, are we can to continue to sin so grace may abound? And the apostle emph emphatically says, certainly not. What it does mean, it means now in Christ you have a payment for the punishment and the condemnation that all sin carries with it. It doesn't mean sin bothers the perfect, holy, and righteous God any less. It means we have forgiveness readily available every single time. Oh, but Mike, Mike, my, my past, man, you just, uh, you just don't know the things that I've done. Uh, how, how, could, how could God ever forgive me for that? Well, take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. The Apostle Paul is saying here that you are literally a new species in Christ. It's as if that old life, it wasn't even you. That was, that was another creature. That's what God has to say about your past if you are in Christ. Yeah, but Mike, Mike, uh, I know, I get it. The past is gone. Right? I may be a Christian, but I, I still mess up. I still sin, and, and God hates sin. Well, you're right. He does. But what's the good shepherd have to say in response to this? 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So that word there, confess in the Greek, is homologeo. Homo, meaning same, and legeo, a form of the word to speak. It means we say the same thing about the act that we committed that God does. God labels what we did as sin, 
and we agree with him, we speak it out to him, God, I have sinned, and what are the results if we do and earnestly mean it in our hearts? He forgives us and cleanses us from all wickedness. Think fresh start, clean slate. I like to think of it this way. You ever go outside and you look at the beautiful artwork that the kids have done on the sidewalk with the chalk? There's all the different colors. There's blue, pink, green, and it's just, well, it's a mess. But it's a beautiful mess, right? So think about you want to clean that off. You take your hose to it, right? Well, better yet, say you take a power washer to it to wash all that off. If you were to go there a couple minutes later, you would never even be able to tell that there was chalk there, that there was writing there, that there was pictures there. That's the power. That's the cleansing power of God when we confess our sins to him. That's what it's like. Clean slate, wiped clean. And this is an important discipline, confessing sin, to practice as believers because unconfessed sin and an unwillingness to turn from it in of itself will undoubtedly guarantee a lack of peace in your life. I talked about this in my last sermon about living outside the walls of his will. Here's some other ones for you. You don't have to turn here, but I just want you to listen closely to what the good shepherd has to say about those he has forgiven and laid down his life for. Hebrews 10, 15 through 17. The Lord says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. Psalm 103, 11 through 12. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Romans 8, 33 through 34, that gold mine that is Romans 8. Who dares accuse us from God who has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Now, I could go on about the compassion, the kindness, and generosity of God, but I'm encouraging you, if that is something, if shame is something that you struggle with this week, I want you to go through and study these. And really look into the kindness and compassion and grace of our God. This is the good shepherd's voice. It will serve you well to get to know it and be familiar with it. Now before I move on, I want to make this important distinction first. Friends, there is a difference between guilt and shame. And we will do well to know the difference. Pastor Steve has put it this way before. He said Guilty, guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. And that's right. See, guilt is a good thing. Guilt is God the Holy Spirit tugging on our hearts and moving our conscience saying, that was wrong. You need to pray for forgiveness and address the situation differently. There's a word for this. It starts with a C. Anybody know what it is? Conviction. Conviction. God's purpose is, an outcome for conviction is always good. Conviction is used to draw us to God and move us to spiritual growth and a deeper intimacy with him. 
despite the fact of you and I messing up in the situation. Shame is the complete opposite. Shame's outcome is always harmful. Shame is used to repel you from God, to stagnate and deteriorate you in your relationship with him. Shame is why Adam and Eve hid their naked butts from God in Genesis 3 instead of running to his feet for mercy when they disobeyed him. And if we are not diligent, we too will be compelled to hide our naked butts in a bush after we sin. Instead of boldly coming before the throne of grace, as Hebrews 4 tells us we can do. It all comes down to a choice. The choice of who you're going to listen to. Brother Darrell Wilson did a great sermon on that a couple weeks back about who are you listening to. Make the choice today to stop listening to the lies of shame and start listening to the good shepherd. The good shepherd whose mercies are new every morning and never come to an end as Lamentations 3 tells us. Quit the shame game. You were bought with too high of a price for you to continually give in to that garbage. The infinite, eternal God loves you too much for you to keep doing that to yourself. And if El Shaddai, God Almighty, says to you, the judge of all the earth, says to you, I do not condemn you, who are we mere mortals to usurp his authority and do it to ourselves? Surrender the shame to him, friend. Again, if shame is something you struggle with, I'm imploring you, Meditate on these passages we went over, commit them to memory, and use them as your ticket off this daunting game every time it tries to suck you back in. What's our principle for the shame game? Resolve the guilt, drop the shame. You know, it's extremely easy to fall into things like shame when we are lacking in knowing the character of God, his instruction for us, and the consequences associated with living out his protective, out of sight of his protective will for our lives. And undoubtedly, this next parasite is assuredly the culprit for this lacking. And yes, the uh, verbiage used certainly has some Pastor Steve inspiration behind it, as you will see. What's our next parasite? Deficient soul diets. See, that's how you know when your pastor's really getting through to you when you start talking like him. I'm truly honored to serve under Pastor Steve and be mentored by him. I love him very much. Now, just like our physical bodies have a diet, so do our souls. And just like we can have deficient diets for our bodies that lead to poor physical health, if we have a deficient soul diet, it will lead us to being spiritually unhealthy. This can be linked back to Paul's exhortation for spiritual maturity as Christians in the various New Testament epistles. I like to think of it this way. Everything our soul consumes can be compared to what we consume with our physical bodies. There are categories, if you will. There's healthy, foods that we should often eat as they are good for us. There's poison, never should consume this as it does damage to our body. And then there's junk. It's food that has very little nutritional value, but it's okay to enjoy in moderation for pleasure, like that pound of cookies I consumed for Christmas. <laughs> my question for you is what is your soul diet like how much of the healthy is your soul taking in bible study prayer worship music fellowship with other believers has there been poison contaminating your soul knowingly or unknowingly that is is there sin in your life 
Have you allowed your soul to consume too much junk, causing you to be lethargic in your walk with Christ and your spiritual health to be in a state of decline? Kind of like when you eat too much Cheetos. Are we, are we consuming too much entertainment, too much news, too much social media, too much video games? Only you and God can answer that. And I'm inviting you this week. Have you and God sit down and invite him to take a deeper look at your lifestyle and your daily habits. As Paul exhorts us in 2 Corinthians 5, examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Take a good look at it. Church, I cannot emphasize enough, if we want to experience God's peace, we have to be careful of what we are putting into our minds and what we find ourselves dwelling on mentally. As Romans 12.1 says, we are transformed by the renewing of our what? Our minds. Very good. Pastor Steve and Ladon did a wonderful soul oasis, Wednesday night soul oasis on December 16th about this. I recommend going and checking it out. It's on the YouTube channel, HCC's YouTube channel. For now, why don't you take a look at Philippians 4. It's a familiar passage to a lot of us. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I don't think it's an accident that Paul here instructs us to proactively think as opposed to simply just giving us a command not to think about things that are bad, wrong, false, despicable, so on and so forth. Why? Why wouldn't he just say, well, don't think about bad things? Well, it's quite simple, really. If I tell you all, hey, hey, don't, don't think about a purple bunny eating a yellow carrot. Don't think about it. What are you all thinking about right now? Purple bunny eating a yellow carrot, right. See, it's not enough, nor is it effective or even possible, to just empty our mind of all the peace-killing trash and just try to keep it away. No, just, just don't think about that fearful thing that happened to you. Just, just don't think about that sensual fantasy or image that tempts you. Just, just don't think about uh, the thing that's making you feel anxious. Just put, just put it out of your mind. Anyone ever travel down that endless road of futility? Yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. No, we, we, we have to make the, sh- the choice to shift our thoughts towards things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. To not stop thinking, but to merely change our thinking, to shift our thinking. And the only way we have the capacity to do that is if our souls are already being nourished with the things of God through a healthy, sustainable soul diet. So, so much more I would love to say about the topic of our thinking and the renewing of the mind, but there just isn't enough time, so we're going to leave that for another day. What is our principle for countering the peace-stealing effects of a deficient soul diet? Nourish your soul. Speaking of nourishing, let's take a look at our next one. What's our next parasite? Ah, temple duty is lacking. Now, you may have heard mention of the temple in your various readings and teachings of Scripture. Uh, in attempts to simplify it and give kind of a thousand-foot view of the temple, here it goes. It was essentially the building in which God's manifest presence resided. 
Now, God is, of course, everywhere, but this was a special place of prayer and worship where God connected with his people, the Jews. For a while, it housed the Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis stole it, and an American archaeologist went on an adventure to retrieve it where it now lies in a top-secret D.C. warehouse. That sounds like a plot to an 80s action-adventure movie. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> no, but seriously, that's Indiana Jones, by the way. Uh, no, but seriously, the temple did house the sacred Ark of the Covenant before it went missing somewhere in the Old Testament period. Now, as you will quickly discover, when reading the Bible, the temple is considered absolutely sacred, and it was to be honored in the highest esteem. We see this clearly with Jesus' zeal for it during his earthly ministry, cleansing it twice, driving out the wicked money changers and vendors, one time even with a whip. The temple was a beautiful, massive structure, which naturally required much maintenance. Now, this duty was assigned to the priest working within the temple, preserving its upkeep and ensuring the sacredness it deserved as the dwelling place of the Lord God Almighty according to his instructions for it. Great, Mike. Thank you very much for the Jewish history lesson. What does that have to do with me having peace? Yeah, I know what you're all thinking. Well, since Jesus' death, resurrection, and the day of Pentecost described in Acts chapter 2, there is a new temple, a new residing place of God with new priests assigned to it. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Everyone do me a favor. Point to the new temple of God. Good, good, good. Now, point to the priest assigned to that temple. Husbands, don't point to your wives. It's us. It's us. We are the very temple of God. We are the priest assigned to preserve its upkeep, to maintain its sacredness as the very dwelling place of God, the Holy Spirit. And just like when the people neglected the temple in the Old Testament, there was a lack of peace in the land, so are the natural consequences when we neglect our physical bodies, the living temple of God, according to 1 Corinthians 6. Now here's what I think to be the two most common ways that we neglect the care of our physical bodies in our current day, our current Western United States culture that can be hindrances to our peace. The first one, poor diets and inactive or overactive lifestyles. This involves healthy eating and drinking, maintaining a healthy level of activity, not overworking ourselves. It's unfortunate that many Christians address this issue like, Oh, praise the Lord, honey, I'll just get my size 8 glorified body in heaven. Or, or, you know, I can't wait to just drop this gut and be shredded when I get my glorified body in heaven. That is a brainwashed Western American parents-driven attitude. It's not about how we look, it's about our health. I know of this fellow Christian whose doctor told him, if you don't change your lifestyle, that's his eating and drinking, you are going to die. And his attitude towards it was, in a sense, meh. And he continued in his current patterns. 
Many of us suffer physically and have a lack of peace from health problems that could be mitigated and avoided altogether if we just take steps to be more healthy. And part of this is not overworking ourselves too. Practicing Sabbath rest, as Pastor Steve has taught us about. Not running the temple ragged. Now the second common temple neglect in our culture is sexual immorality. That is engaging in acts of physical intimacy with only our spouse as the Bible prescribes. The context of 1 Corinthians 6 in which Paul gives us the exhortation that our bodies are the temple of God is in the larger conversation about avoiding sexual sin. Listen to this reality check he gives us starting with verse 15. 1 Corinthians 6, 15. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Should a man take his body which is part of Christ and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who has joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. See, when we engage in any type of sexual activity with someone else or by ourselves, Christ is part of that. Now, if we uh, do this within uh, the parameters of marriage as God designed it to be, it is a beautiful, undefiled thing, and God is actually glorified through that act. When it is done outside of these parameters, and we choose to neglect the temple of God by engaging in sexual activity beyond his instruction, the temple is desecrated, defiled, and damaged. Refuse to adopt the cultural lie that it's just sex. It's not. It is the most sacred act a human being can perform with another human being. And if you are a Christian, you involve the sacred temple of God and Christ himself in that very act. Let that sink in for a moment. The peace of God it cannot coexist in a body that is being used to gratify sexual immorality. They are mutually exclusive and they are mutually opposed to each other. Church, is not our God worthy of a sacred and cared for dwelling place? Is he not worthy of a temple that is honored enough to be kept healthy and pure? We are that temple church. So let's do our due diligence to bring glory to God with our bodies and prevent our peace from being robbed to neglecting our sacred temple duty. What's our principle? Honor the Holy Spirit's house. I'm gonna go with our final parasite for the day here. What's it, what is it? I'm a time traveler. You know, Marty McFly and Back to the Future came to mind when I thought about this one. You guys remember that movie? Anyone remember what type of car Doc used for the time machine? The DeLorean, good. Well, too, for too many of us, we spend so much time in our own personal mental DeLoreans cruising through the time continuum that we are missing out on God's peace for our lives. The first issue is that too many of us are dwelling on the past. 
As we talked about earlier, our past is often a breeding ground for shame. We often, uh, how often do we find ourselves trapped in mistakes and regrets and hurts of the past that just overwhelmingly weigh us down? Or how many of us find ourselves being drawn to past sins and being tempted to return to that? I talked about this uh, in my last sermon about how our minds like to romanticize our past sins under the, the guise of the false freedom that we had in just doing whatever we wanted. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had quite the past. Some scholars have even theorized that his thorn in the flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 was the constant reminder of his regrettable past of killing and persecuting Christians before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Could be. We don't know. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. No matter, this was Paul's exhortation to Christians as his own personal resolve for dealing with the past and growing in his faith. It's in Philippians 3, 13 through 14. No, dear brothers, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Jesus says in Luke 9.62, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now look, it's not, it's not that we can just forget things we've done or forget things that have happened to us. That, that's not possible. That's not what Paul and Jesus are saying to us. In fact, we should most certainly learn from our past and even use it as part of our testimony as we see Paul doing throughout the New Testament when he gave the gospel. However, we should not be living there. Both Paul and Jesus in their statements are saying that you cannot live out God's calling for your life and as a result, experience his peace by continually dwelling on the past. We also can't do it by dwelling on the future either. Where the past is a breeding ground for shame, the future is fertile soil for the thorns of anxiety, fear, and worry to flourish and strangle your if you can't seem to get your mind out of the future, it will make you absolutely miserable. I can say this from experience because it is something I struggle with personally. People who suffer from anxiety about the future, they are crushed under the weight of two words. What if? Very good. What if we don't have enough money? What if I lose my job? What if I never get married? What if we never have a baby? What if something bad happens to my kids or my family? What if I fail? What if I get sick? What if my health doesn't improve? What if this? What if that? Well, why don't we stop and start asking ourselves, what if God causes this thing we are so worried about to work together for our good and his glory? What if that happens? Well, church, that's... That's not a possibility, that's a promise. And we find it in Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called to his purpose. And that just happens to be our theme for the upcoming year. It can only be good. How? 
how, how is it going to be good? Well, this is usually not ours to know in the situation. It's not our job to figure it all out. It's above our pay grade. Our role is to take our faithful God at his immutable word. It can only be good. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. No, this does not mean that we just kind of throw our feet up and we don't plan or we don't work hard. The Bible on numerous occasions calls for us to do that. It means that we do what we can, where we are at, with what we have, and commit it to the Lord and trust his faithfulness. See, the child of God doesn't have to dwell in the future. They don't have to dwell on the past because they can offer them both up to God in prayer. You can let them go. Release them out of your hands because you know they are in his, the hands of the sovereign, mighty, unstoppable God who according to Romans 8.31 is for you. Jesus, our Lord, says it in Matthew 6.31-34, don't worry about these things saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus instructs us to always be in the present. Pain and panic come from living in the past or the future. But there is peace in being present. What's our principle? Reference the past plan and pray for the future, live in the present. You know, I think it's important for us to remain present, and I'm wrapping things up here. It's important for us to remain present because that is where God always wants to meet you. Throughout the Bible, God always has met people right where they were. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where it looks like you are currently headed. What matters is God loves you right where you are right now. His mercy covers your past. His grace, your future. Whether you've been a Christian for a very long time, a short time, or never. Whether you feel strong in your faith, find a weakening, or at this point it feels like it's non-existent. You need to hear that. Because that is the true source of peace that we so often forget. The manger, the cross, the empty tomb. Knowing that we have been invited to no longer be separated from God in our sins. Knowing that instead of enemies of God destined for suffering in hell due to our sins, we may be called heirs destined for celebration in heaven with him. Knowing that Jesus looks you in the eye, he reaches out his nail-scarred hand and says, I love you. You are mine. See the holes in my hands 
and my feet. I paid the ultimate price for you. Come, you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Friends, it says Romans 8, 31 through 33 tells us, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us from whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. He who gave up his own son, will he not give us the strength to let go of our shame? Will he not give us the desire and power to do what pleases him through the nourishment of our souls? Will he not give us the ability to honor God with our bodies as living temples? He who did not even spare his own son, will he not give us the self-control needed to live in the present? And who dares condemn you? Your past? Your future? No. Nothing condemns you. And you are slaves to nothing in Christ. Not fear, not worry, not sex, not food, not drink. You are slaves to nothing but the good Lord himself. For he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You take your direction from the good shepherd. He truly is the one and only cure for all of our restlessness. And that is because peace is a person and his name is Jesus. Will you stand with me? We're gonna have an opportunity. We call this our time for response, to worship God in response. At home, you know you are just as much a part of our church family. And with that, you are just as part of this Sunday service as everyone here in the sanctuary. As I said, God is everywhere. As I said, God is in you if you are in Christ. He's always readily available. He's always wanting to commune with you. Wherever you are in the moment, whatever you've done, He's not going to say, you got to go clean yourself up first. You know, people, I hear people say all the time, man, if I were to attend church or, you know, if I were to walk in, the building would burn down. And what they're saying is they're, they're saying that they have done so much uh, treacherous things, so horrible things that not even the blood of Jesus Christ can cover that. That's why I want to put them in a holy headlock. Just love on them. Be like, No. What you're saying is like saying, oh man, I really got to take a shower before I get a bath. Now, the church, Jesus said, it is not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. You know, when you, when you call in maids to clean your house, you don't clean it up first before they come. No, that's why they come. That's why the Holy Spirit is here meet you right where you are. And if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that invitation is available right now. You don't have to move. You don't have to be here. He's with you.
right now, wanting to commune with you. The worship team's going to lead us in one final song. And as we go through, think about the love and the mercy of God. You don't need to worry about 2021. You don't need to worry about everything that happened in 2020. His mercy has covered 2020. His grace is covering 2021. Think about that 